Our scripture that we'll be studying today is Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram lift, listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Canaan uh, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's hear the word of the Lord today. It's a joy to be here this morning. It's a joy to preach. It's a joy to get back to Genesis um, this series in Genesis has been rich for me and I believe for many of you. So this morning we are in Genesis 16 and I trust that the Lord will speak to us from Genesis 16. Uh, there's an amazing and very well-known passage in the book of Habakkuk where Habakkuk the prophet expresses his trust in God. We all know this. Read with me. Habakkuk 3 and verse 7 from verse 17 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. 
This is an amazing passage because we see Habakkuk's amazing faith in God. He rejoices in God not because he is blessed to overflowing. He is not saying that I will take joy in the God of my salvation if he will keep my trials really small so that I can handle them on my own. No, that's not what he's saying. Habakkuk is saying, whatever test and whatever trial my sovereign God prepares for me, I will cling to him, him who is my strength, and I will rejoice in him. It's an amazing passage of scripture that we should look at and emulate. Our passage this morning in Genesis 16 starts with a statement that is opposite to this, what we've read in Habakkuk. It starts off in Genesis 16 verse 1 with these words. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And I'm sure some of you are going like, are you off your rockers? How is this the opposite of what we just read of Habakkuk? Sarai, we know, is barren. It is the first thing that Moses said about her when he introduced her in Genesis 11 as Abram's wife. So this seems for us as a simple introductory statement to this chapter. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But that sentence, church, that sentence is more than just an introduction to this narrative that we are looking at this morning. That sentence is our first glimpse of man's faithlessness that we are going to open up and unpack in this chapter. I have only two main points. It's cool for those who take notes. Always one point. Two main points. Man's faithlessness and God's faithfulness. And we can almost stop right there because that says it all. The faithlessness we see this morning starts with the verse we just read. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The reason that this sentence show faithlessness is because of where the focus of this sentence is. Sarai was desperate to have a son. She was desperate to have a son for Abram so that he could have an heir. But Sarai faced a severe and bitter trial, the trial of being barren. And so we see that her desire for a son and the pain of not being able to bear a son for Abram has become such an idol for her that it has become the focal point of her existence. Sarai is not like Habakkuk. Sarai is not like Habakkuk who says, though the fig tree should not blossom, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. She's not so saying, though I am still barren and without son, I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. Sarai's focus is not on the Lord. Her focus is on her issue, on her problem, on her trial. And she is obsessed with the fact that she is still barren, even though God promised that he will give her a son. Habakkuk's focus was on the Lord, and he rejoiced. 
Sarai's focus was on her barrenness, and it consumed her. Not only did it consume her, not only did she not rejoice in the Lord, but we see here in verse 2 that she blamed God. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now let's be honest, it is the truth. The sovereign Lord did prevent her up to this point to bear children. But the faithlessness that is apparent is that she is not saying, Though I am still barren, I rejoice in the Lord. Rather, she is blaming God in a negative way. He has prevented me, Abram. He has prevented me from having children. She's not trusting in God's sovereignty. She is rather blaming him, thinking that what he is doing in her, having her barren, having her not have children at this moment, is somehow bad that God is doing to her. And she thinks, I can do better myself because God is not doing good to me I will make a plan myself and get the results that I want I can do this myself and so we see the story unfold we see how she is crafting a plan Hagar her female Egyptian servant becomes her solution and in verse 4 we see Sarai offer Hagar to Abram And she says, go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And at this moment, we see that Sarai has lost faith in her God. And has decided that she will take matters in her own hands. She will make a plan to get what she wants. To get the results that she thinks should be there. Now, as a side note... The fact that Sarai gave Hagar to Abram was acceptable in the, in the time that they lived. The sin that we see here is not a sexual sin of Abram sleeping with Hagar. The sin that we see here is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin where Sarai is saying, I do not believe that God will do what he has said he is going to do by giving you a child. And therefore, I will give you my maidservant. Go have children with her. Deep down, Sarai did not believe that God was good. She did not believe that he was able to give her a son. And so in her unbelief, she turned to a human solution. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, verse 4, 3 and 4, her servant, and gave her to Abram. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Now, let's be clear. Abram here is not an innocent bystander. If anyone in this story, should have had an unwavering confidence in God. It should be Abram. Remember in the the past few chapters that we looked at how God had dealt with Abram. The Lord provided for him in Egypt when he lied about who Sarai was to protect his own life. 
God protected him. He revealed who she was and he still protected his life. The Lord enabled him to save Lot. With 318 men, they went up against the armies of like four kings and they defeated them. He should have known how trustworthy and how powerful God is. We saw that the Lord blessed him, spoke a blessing on him through Melchizedek. And we saw that Yahweh visibly swore an oath to keep his promise to Abram that his very own son, indicating that a son between him and Sarai, shall be their heir. And if you remember two weeks ago when Chris preached, when he cut open the animals, God walked between those animals. And he was saying, Abram, I will be the one who fulfill my promise to you, my covenant with you. All that you have to do is to believe. Yet when Sarai comes to Abram with her plan, we do not see him replying with faith. We do not see him replying confident in God. We do not see him replying the way we would like to or have expected him to reply what we would have expected after all that has happened to him is for him to say, Sarai, we need to faithfully trust the Lord and wait on the promises of our God. Remember all he has done for us. Remember the promises he made. Remember how faithful he has been to us. Can you remember how he swore an oath to us that he will give me an offspring no, Sarai, we will not pervert God's sovereign plan in our lives by making plans for him. That's what we would have expected. That's what I would have liked to read there in chapter 16. But that, that is not what we see, unfortunately, in this chapter. And we read in verse 2, And Abram listened to the voice of of Sarai. Do you realize that it is the exact same sin that God chastised Adam for in Genesis 3 verse 17 because Adam listened to the voice of Eve. And look at the further correlation between these two stories. Just as Eve took the apple, gave it to Adam, and he ate some of it, now we read that Sarai took Hagar, gave her to Abram. He went into her and she conceived. Sin repeated. The same sin that we saw with Adam and Eve, we see the same sin repeated here. Whew. Trusting in, in God while waiting is no easy task. I'll be the first to raise my hand. Trusting God while waiting is no easy task. And so I have to ask this question this morning, church. How are you doing in trusting God while you are waiting? I know 
here this morning, there are some of you who are waiting for God to bring a spouse to you. I know that there are some of you here who are waiting for God to give you children just like Sarai. I know that there are some here who are waiting on God for healing. Others are waiting for God to save your child or save your spouse or save a friend or a parent. There are some of you who are waiting, trusting God to give you direction for your life. There are some of you who are waiting for God to supply financially. Some of you are waiting for God to give you employment. We are all waiting. I'm waiting for many things. One of the things I'm waiting anxiously for is for the day that God will reunite us with our daughter, Yune. I can hold fast to him for that day. We are all waiting. And the question we have to honestly answer for ourselves are, how are you and I doing in trusting God while we are waiting for him to act? Are you waiting like Habakkuk? saying that whatever circumstances I face, I will trust and rejoice in God? Or are you trusting like David, who in Psalm 62, verse 6 says, 5 and 6 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation my fortress, I shall not be shaken. Are you waiting like David, trusting God as your fortress? Or are you trying to ignore the pain of waiting year in and year out by filling your life with all kinds of activities and people and things so that you can forget or are you so idolizing the good thing you are waiting for, like Sarai waiting for a son, that you are blind to God's purposes that he specifically created in your waiting? Are you angry like Sarai, blaming God for not answering your prayers and making your life hard and making your life miserable? Are you making your own plans? even though you know that the plans I am making here is different than what God would want me to do? Or have you given up hope? Stop rejoicing in the Lord altogether. Just day by day be angry and fearful and hurtful because this is not easy. Have you lost faith that God is able to help you, that he is sovereign he is the God who works together all things for those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes. I want to remind you of something this morning, church. God is working in your waiting. I'll say it again. God is working in your waiting. There is actually something happening while nothing is happening. While you are feeling the pain 
of waiting, God is working. Something is happening. Read verse with me, 2 Corinthians 4, a couple of verses. Start in verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then from verse, six, in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory Beyond all comparison. Church, your inner self is being renewed. While you wait. Day by day. By our holy God. And this light momentary affliction. This light momentary affliction of the pain and suffering of waiting is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Oh, can we look at our waiting suffering like that, that it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. This is truly amazing. That while you and I wait in pain, sometimes frustrated, sometimes angry, and we want to see our external circumstances change today, while we do that, God is working. He's working to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And while we just see the now and we see the pain and we experience it and we go like, God, just change this one thing and I'll be happy. In the background, God is doing so much more for us. Church, this is why we can trust God while we wait. Like David, like Habakkuk, like Joseph, like so many others in the Word who faithfully and patiently waited for God to act and bring about what He has promised to them. We can do this because our God is worthy of our trusting. He is a faithful God, and His desire is to good to do good to us. And sometimes that good that he is doing to us is having us wait patiently for him so that while we wait, he can work this light momentary affliction by preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is above all comparison. He is not wasting one single day of our waiting, struggling, suffering. But he is redeeming it because he is God, a redeemer. 
Church, he is worthy. He is worthy to trust. He is worthy not to get frustrated with. He is worthy not to get angry with. He is worthy to say, God, I will trust you. I will find my joy in you. I will not find my joy in my circumstances day by day. Know something this morning. Each person in this room God sees you, and God knows you. His arm is not too short to help you. I ask you this morning, wait faithfully, wait patiently, trusting that in his good time, in his good time, God will do what he purposes to do in your life. He is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. The Bible says this life is a vapor. If you belong to God, if you're a Christian who follows God, remember that in an instant this vapor is going to be over. And this suffering, this severe suffering that we experience now, will be changed into the greatest joy we have ever experienced when we see our faithful, holy Father face to face and we spend eternity with Him. When we think of that, friends, then I, I can say, Lord, help me to be faithful in waiting today because I know that day, this waiting, this suffering will be nothing compared to the joy of seeing you. Church, he is working in your waiting. Believe that. Trust him for that. As we go back to the text, we saw in verse 4 that Abram went into Hagar and she conceived. Abram and Sarai's unfaithfulness in trusting God for what he had promised has far-reaching consequences. Much more than my message will even touch on today. We actually still feel that consequence today. But giving Hagar to Abram to have a child, rather than bringing joy Hagar's pregnancy embittered the entire situation because according to verse 5, Hagar now looked with contempt at her mistress or as the NIV says, she despised her mistress. And although this passage does not specifically say how she looked with contempt at her or how she despised her, we can just imagine for ourselves being the servant all of a sudden being pregnant with the master's child must have made her prideful. And for Sarai, seeing her servant being pregnant with her husband's child must have made her jealous. And so there is a tension that is growing here. Sarai is refusing to take blame for her actions and her faithlessness to trust and wait patiently for the Lord to do what he promised. And she's enraged. 
Remember first she blamed God, saying, God will not give me children. Now she's blaming Abram. And we see in verse 5, she says, May the wrong done to me be on you, Abram. It's like, yikes. Hagar treats her with discontent, and it is Abram's fault. It's amazing, though, isn't it, how we all can be blind to our own sin and how we can be deeply hurt and affected by other sin, especially if we are the recipients of some of their sin. The Lord won't give me children. Abram, you are to blame for this. Abram's response, again, not stellar. In fact, he compounds the problem. What Abram should have done at this point is he should have protected Hagar. He should have protected her because she was weak. But that is not what he does. Again, like Adam, when he stood next to Eve when she was tempted by Satan, Abram is again passive and he permits Sarai to do with Hagar whatever she wills. He says to her in verse 6, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Way to go, Abe. And Sarai did. She did what she pleased. She did what she wanted because her husband did not counsel her to be merciful. So Sarai in verse 6, dealt harshly with Hagar and she fled from her. So classic, isn't it, that when we act in sin, when we do not trust the Lord, when we do not wait for his timing and we take matters into our own hands, how quickly difficulties compound. And we go from one difficulty to another to another. And the more we try and shift the blame and the less we are humble and the less we are willing to ask for forgiveness, the more the situation gets out of control. So here we see Hagar is pregnant. But Abram and Sarai gained nothing. Even though they tried to make a plan for God to provide an heir, they are still without an heir. And here we see Hagar, maybe not completely innocent because of her prideful attitude, but being treated so harshly that she has to run away. This is because of man's faithlessness that we get to that point. But this story, I am so thankful, does not end there. These first six verses show us the faithlessness of man. But the next verses so clearly reveals who God is. I love to read the Bible and ask the question, how is God revealed in what we read? Church, we always have to do that. When we read this word, we have to say, God, how is God revealed in this? How is he revealing himself in this? And when we start in verse 7, we see that there is a focus shift. There's a shift from the faithlessness of man to the faithfulness of God. 
And we see here several characteristics. This is not an exhaustive list. But we see here several characteristics of God as he is revealing to us in his word who he is. And we will see that he is a faithful redeemer God. This is how he reveals himself. The first one we see is in verse 7. And what we learn here about God is that he is a God who pursues us. Verse 7 says this, The angel of the Lord found Hagar by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Raise your hand if you think the angel of the Lord just stumbled upon her there. He did not. God did not just find her there and go like, oh, Hagar. He found her there, church, because he pursued her. God is a pursuer of us. When we are not pursuing him, when you and I are not looking for him, are not running after him, he is the God who pursues you. Each one of us, he pursues us because he loves us. Here we see this, this woman, don't know how old she was, Hagar, but she's at the spring on the way to Shur. Shur is the desert bordering Egypt on the northwestern corner of the Sinai Peninsula. She was going back to Egypt where she is from, and she, woman alone, was about to cross that desert, pregnant, and she was stopping here at this spring for refreshment. No easy journey. And here in her weakness and in her distress is where God found her because he pursued her. In his great mercy, he finds her in her weakness and distress. And we see here, like the good shepherd, leaving the 99 sheep and going after that one. God pursued her, and at this well, he makes contact with her. It's an amazing thing. It's no small thing when God reveals himself to a person like that. We see a second thing about God. We see that he is a God who knows us. We see in verse 8, God says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, what's immediately apparent is that God is not on a fact-finding mission here. He, he's, not, he's not wanting to hear, oh, who are you and where are you going? He is calling her by name. Hagar, servant of Sarai. He knows who she is. He's not trying to find out who she is. He is actually revealing, I know you. Hagar, I know you. You're the servant of Sarai. I know you. And the fact that he reveals himself to her is an amazing thing. God knew of the faithlessness of Abram and Sarai. He knew of the harsh treatment that this woman went through. He knew where she was going. 
Remember that Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says that no creature is hidden from God's sight. He knew it, yet he revealed himself to her there at that spring. God knew Hagar, and God cared about Hagar. Thirdly, we see that he is a God who hears our cries. The angel of the Lord said to her, look at verse 11. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Whereas the NIV says, the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Oh, the Lord was not deaf to Hagar's cry in distress. He did not ignore her affliction, but he heard her. And he told her, her son's name shall be Ishmael, meaning God hears. And that name would forever recall how the Lord responded to the cry of Hagar in the wilderness. A church, hear it this morning. God hears your cry. When you cry to him in your affliction, his ear is attentive and he listens to your cry. He is not far off, not hearing you. He hears your cry. Lastly, we see in verse 13 that he is a God who sees and looks after us. This is probably the most beautiful verse in this section of Scripture. Verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. First, that's an amazing thing that she named God. She said, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Truly here I have seen him who look after me. Church, do you realize that whenever we see God, it is because of one reason only, because God wants us to see him. It is only when he reveals himself to us that we can see him. And so when she is saying, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me, what she is saying is, God, you are revealing yourself to me, and you are a God who looks after me. After being a servant to Sarai, after being given to Abram to have a child with, after being treated harshly, after running away into the desert, Hagar comes face to face with the God who looks after her and reveals himself to her. He wanted Hagar to know that he cares for her. He wanted Hagar to know him. It's pretty profound, church, that the creator of all the universe, the king of kings, the most holy God, wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. And he is so kind to reveal himself to us. 
I wonder this morning if you are in a place where you identify with Hagar. I wonder how many here this morning feels lonely and broken and used and fearful, uncertain of your future, ready to book it into the desert, feel hopeless, have been hurt and mistreated, despairing of your life. Listen, God knows you. God hears your cries. God sees you. God will care for you. So today, instead of despairing, I want to challenge you to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord and surely the Bible says his ear is not too dull that he cannot hear. Your circumstances may not change tomorrow, but he will look after you like Hagar said, he is the God who looks after me. So rather than being in despair, I ask you today, cry out to the Lord. In your despair. Lord help me. You know my circumstances. You have placed me here. This is hurting. Will you help me? And God will reveal himself to you. If you're a Christian. I want to remind you that you have a faithful redeemer. Whose plans for you are good. Good does not mean easy. Always. But his plans for you are good to work an eternal weight of glory in you that is beyond comparison. If you are not a Christian in here this morning, I want you to know that you resemble Hagar in this story this morning. God is meeting with you this morning in this church, like he met with Hagar at the spring. You are not here by accident. God ordained for you to be here. He made everything in your life work so that you are here, so that you can see the God who is revealed in this passage, a Redeemer God, and so that you can see your response before him. He knows you. And he wants you to know him. If you're not a, a Christian, your current suffering is not your greatest problem. No matter what your struggle is, this is not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is that you are separated from God. Your greatest problem is that you do not know God, that you do not belong to God. And this morning I want to tell you how you can bridge that gap. How you can know God, how you can become a child of God. You see, you are separate from God. If you're not a Christian, you are separate from God because you, like all other human beings, was born as a sinner, and God is holy and sinless, and 
those, those two cannot be reconciled because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And so you can only approach God, you can only be united with God when you are sinless. Sounds hard, right? Impossible. Humanly speaking, this is impossible, but it is the truth that you can only approach God when you do not have sin. And so if it's impossible, how can we hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? God made a way. He made a way for you to know God. He made a way for you so that you can approach God. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to leave the glories of heaven, to come here to this earth, to live here. And here He lived a perfect, sinless life. The only man ever to live without sin. And eventually He went to a cross. And on that cross, He took your sin. All of your past sin, all of your future sin, he was placed on Jesus at that moment. And the wrath of God that burns against sin was poured out on Jesus. And he died there under your sin, for your sin, for my sin. And in, in exchange for taking our sin upon himself, what he gives us is righteousness you know what righteousness is? It means that there is no sin anymore. You can now be right with God. And your responsibility is this. You have to repent of your sin. You have to, by faith, believe that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. You have to live for Jesus Christ. And if you do this, your sins will be forgiven, will be wiped away. You will be sinless so that you can approach God and be united with God. This is a free gift to each one who hears and responds to this message. If you do not live for Jesus Christ, if you have not bowed your knee and asked forgiveness for your sin, asked him to forgive you and to save you, to make you his child, do not hold off on doing that. After the service this morning, we're going to pray for different groups of people. I want to encourage you, if you... If you know that you are not a Christian, that you are not living for God, that you will seek out somebody this morning, say to them, pray for me, explain to me what this is, what this gospel is. I want to become a child of God. If you hear these words this morning, hear this, God knows you. He knows your name. He knows your difficulties. He knows the plans that he has for you. He sees you. He sees everything in your life. There's nothing you can hide from him. You can pretend to be a Christian, but if you are not, God knows it. And he knows the desires that he has for you, that you turn to him, rejoice in him, and live for him. Know this. 
If you are not a Christian and you hear the words that I'm speaking this morning, it is because God is pursuing you. You are Hagar sitting at that spring and you are hearing God speak to you. Do not delay in repenting of your sin in asking his forgiveness and believing what Jesus Christ did for you. If you cry out to God, he will hear you. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is the only way that you can become a child of God. By Him cleansing you of all sin and unrighteousness. I end with these words from 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, portion of it. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Church, what good news that is for us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. The goal in this is not to be perfect. The goal in this is to submit yourself to God. Our goal is to faithfully wait, faithfully trust, faithfully rejoice in God and to wait for him to act on our behalf, to not take over the responsibility from God, but to wait for him and to cry out to him. And he, according to 2 Timothy, will remain faithful to you. So today as you struggle... As you suffer, know one thing. There is this faithful God who governs your life. May we experience and see that every day. Amen. I'm asking the worship team to come up as I pray for us. Lord, thank you this morning that we can read and hear and know that you are a faithful God. God, this morning we come to before you and we repent that we, like Sarai, so many times take matters in our own hand. We want to do our own thing. We want to create our own destiny. We want the results that we want and we want them now and we repent of that this morning. Lord, I ask that you will bring conviction to each heart here this morning that we serve a faithful God and because we serve a faithful God, we can wait patiently we can wait faithfully, and while we wait, we can cry out to you because you will hear us and you will care for us. Oh, Lord, help us in our faithlessness to know that you are faithful and make us faithful so we can glorify your name. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Ask that you will change us by your word. Amen.